And that definition of success is that we help people, including our team members, to flourish. We feel like we're making a difference and it's a financially stable environment. And those are things that are important to my type A personality. Her own hospital stays changed this solo practice owner's life. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VEDEX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today I talk to my friend, Dr. Catherine Prim, a veterinarian with animal allergies, an inspiring writer and speaker, and a sharp-minded, positive solo practice owner. You may not do everything you do at what I call cat warp speed, but you cannot help but learn from her about overcoming struggles, digging for solutions, and creating a workplace culture that works. So first, let's talk about how Kat thought about practice business before she started her practice. Kat, engage warp speed. So I always debate with these podcasts whether to start out with a history. I think I had a question here that would kind of get a little bit of the history. I've known you for a while and I know a lot of stuff you've done. I guess for the purposes of thinking about veterinary business success, the big question that always jumps out at me, and I feel like I've asked you this before, but it'll be interesting for everybody here, is uh, when I worked for Veterinary Economics Magazine, we saw fewer and fewer veterinarians were interested in owning practice practices outside of school. So when they graduated, these graduating folks said they fewer and fewer wanted to. Why was that the path for you? How come you either knew you wanted to own or you wound up owning? Well, if you have read my book, which, which I, know, <laughs> I, <did. laughs> I know that you have and you know my story, I always wanted to be a veterinarian. Like I, I never was one of those people who was like, huh, what am I going to do when I grow up? I always wanted to be a veterinarian. And my mind's vision of that was me owning a practice. You know, maybe it was because I read James Harriet. Or, I mean, who knows what gave me the idea of the fantasy that I thought would be owning a veterinary practice. But that was just my goal. And it was always what I worked toward. I just never really thought about doing it any other way. Does that mean as you headed into veterinary school, in veterinary school, and then immediately after, were you either doing reading or taking classes or talking to people about what it would be like? Or you just assumed look, I get through, I'm a doctor of veterinary medicine. When I get out, I'm capable of owning a business. That's what I'm going to do. Or did you do a bunch of work in the interim? Actually, kind of a little bit of both. When I was okay. in veterinary school, I went to Mississippi State College of Veterinary Medicine. And we were always, that school I, probably still is, but back then we were trying things like we had some problem-based learning classes that was kind of new in the face of veterinary education. And at that time, there was also a class, veterinary business, uh-huh. practice management, that kind of thing. And and I was one of the few people that actually took that class. It was an elective <laughs> class. And I remember going down to the business office with the, and we had a big dry erase board. And we just, I remember learning about that, talking to grown-up veterinarians who had done things and, and they had speakers and stuff. And so, so yeah, I, I did. I mean, I, I saw that I wanted to do that in my mind's eye, I guess. But I did do some preparation. Now, part of that is my personality, which you know, because I'm a huge planner. And so, you know, I, I plot the course, right? So that that's just, that's how I roll. So I wanted to 
be able to do that when I graduated. And so when I graduated, I took a job not so, so far away from the veterinary school. I was, I don't know, two or three hours maybe because my now husband was still in school in Starkville. So I didn't want to be so, so far away, but I knew that I wanted to be in general practice, like private practice. So that was kind of a, I don't know, calculated choice, I guess. So I feel like a lot of the things that you can pick up in school. So again, I've never gone through the classes, but only hearing tangentially, I feel like some of the speakers who come roll through talk about finance and some of the speakers talk about revenue and inventory and how to run a business financially. What kind of information did you have going in? For instance, when you got, you started your first practice, when you came into your first practice, what kind of boss were you? How were you as a leader of women and men? What did that look like when you first came out? You know what? Then I didn't think, I didn't see this the way I see it now, but I knew okay. nothing. I knew nothing. And that is the reason that I have given lectures about understanding your PL statement, because my parents actually were somewhat entrepreneurial. I guess my dad had had his own business and were kind of business minded. My sisters are, one is a CPA and the other one is an economist. So there were financial minded people in my family. I guess it's in my genes, but I really literally had to learn everything. And my parents knew some businessy stuff, but they didn't really know how to run a veterinary hospital, and and neither did I. Sure. I mean, I just worked really hard. I mean, that is what I'm trying to teach my son even today. You get out of it what you put into it. And so I worked really hard. I'm not sure if somebody said, you got to start all over. I don't know. I don't know if I could do it again. It was hard. I mean, so you sort of put yourself the cliche, the kind of the school of hard knocks. You worked hard at it and you kept hitting your head against the wall when you hit walls and eventually they broke, but it wasn't like an orchestrated perfect synchronicity of all these things coming together or a mentor who guided you easily through all these things. Like you came up against the wall numerous times. You know what? I think uncertainty was my biggest enemy just (laughs) because I hadn't done it before. And there are differences in the way things actually happen than in the way you think they're going to. And that was a challenge for me of, huh, I didn't really realize that I wouldn't get a paycheck for this long or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) whatever, when I first started out. And, And I did plan things along the way, but there were slip ups. I mean, you know, I had a pretty major head injury, traumatic brain injury. And the clinic celebrated its first anniversary with me in the hospital. So there were definitely hurdles, but you know, and it's so cliche and you started this cliche thing, but that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, it just teaches you to be resilient and it it teaches you confidence of, I can overcome this, this, and this look what I did. I mean, you should celebrate yourself. You should celebrate your successes. And maybe I didn't enough when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I see the value in that. In your current state of mind, what does success in business look like for you now? And is it different than when, did you have a a different vision of it when you first started? You know, I think my own emotional maturity, my own growth and 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I see it differently, but success has always been to me, happiness, stability. I've always wanted to make a difference and I like helping people. And of course I like helping pets, which was the original, the original goal. But now it's like, I want to help my team and I want to help my business because it's not just about me anymore. I have a big team and I have three doctor practice and you know, everybody depends on me and looks to me. And I think that when everybody's happy and, you know, they're getting paid well and they're getting rewarded and we appreciate them and they know it, that is success to me. What does that's interesting? You kind of talked about the, the team angle. Has your vision of yourself as a manager of people and a leader in your practice, has that changed a lot in the time you've been practiced and you have a different vision of it than you did in the beginning? Yeah, you know, I hope that is absolutely true, but it took a traumatic brain injury to teach me that. Maybe your listeners can listen to my story and not have that happen, but I thought that I was irreplaceable. And no one is irreplaceable. And that happened in your first year. So, yeah. So I'm like, this practice is me, you know, <laughs> and it's not. And it, it wasn't. And so I was unconscious for a long time. I couldn't walk. I mean, I had to go to rehab and do, and, but the practice is still there. So even without me, even though I had a lot of help, I mean, my veterinary medical association that I had just left to come and open this practice, they kind of volunteered and rallied around me. They were in the adjoining county and they came in and took turns to try to keep my practice open for me. I mean, and that was so awesome. You know, I'll never, ever forget that support. And I think it's part of the drive for me when I write articles or give lectures or describe things. I just support. I think that this industry needs more support for each other. And so I don't see my competition as my competition. They're my colleagues. Most of the local veterinarians in my area, I can text them and say, hey, you know, what's going on? How are you? You got this drug that we're out of or whatever. We have a very positive working relationship. And that is what success is to me. Does everybody play well in your community or are there some people who sort of bow out for one reason or another? There are always some people that bow out. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I don't want to get into it, but there are, most of us are the same. If in that first year leading up to your brain injury, you started your practice and it was running on your jet fuel, everything was orbiting around you and you were like, yes, you were the sun that was keeping all the life on all the planets alive. And then boom, you're just gone. And then without your planning and your ideas, apparently the staff who was left behind and these other doctors from a practice you'd worked at before sort of came together to come up with a plan to keep the thing going that in that early time had nothing to do with you. So when you woke up, when you transitioned back in, did you just feel sort of like you'd just been blessed with this amazing thing you didn't have a hand in? What happened? Well, I kind of gradually came back in. Initially, I was not able to walk. I was in a wheelchair. And so navigating my life at, I don't know, you say cat warp speed, like I travel, <laughs> was difficult in a wheelchair. So I could only go to the practice 
certain days. I had physical therapy and that kind of stuff. So when I came in, though, I always had this overwhelming sense of peace that I could have died and I didn't die. And I was just going to make I was going to make it work. You know, I was going to start where I was. So I don't know. Maybe I have an ego issue, but I felt like some of the things that I had in place, some of the processes that I had in place helped it go better when I wasn't there. And so that's like kind of my mantra now. I want processes and I want systematic standardization so that even when I'm not there, everything can run the way it should. And that's like my soapbox of standardization and watching your metrics to see if things are working, you know, checking to see if things are working, but processes so that you can be efficient. You know, silly things like alphabetizing your pharmacy. Because so, <laughs> when I was the only one there, I knew where all those drugs were. My assistant or vet tech knew where all the drugs were. It didn't matter. I had them organized like ear medication on this shelf and eye medication on that shelf. But when all the different doctors came in, they were like, holy cow, what? I don't think like this, you know, <laughs> help me, you know? And so it made me realize it's got to be standardized. It's got to be something that anybody could walk in and be able to function efficiently. It was life-changing in a lot of ways, but it was really good for the practice. Okay, really good for the practice. I feel like I keep dancing around this and I was debating whether do we go into it or not? Why don't you tell, I mean, I know, why don't you tell us what is this injury? How did you get it? You mean, how did I end up on the traumatic brain injury survivors That's, list? Yes. I went for a horseback ride with some friends and I was trying out a horse that I had never ridden before because I was looking to purchase a trail riding horse because that was my hobby. I mean, that was what I did. And I was with my standard friends that go with me on all of these things are used to. And I had a helmet on and a lot of the other people on that ride. In fact, none of the other people on that ride had a helmet on. I had a helmet on because I rode hunter jumper and I just, it was a standard part of my equipment. Okay. And if I had not been the one to fall, the ending would not have been as good you know, eventually, of course, I was unconscious for a long time, but the ER doctors were like, if you hadn't had this helmet on, you would not be talking to us now. So yeah, I mean, I don't know, public service announcement for wearing helmets. I don't know. Does that sort of mentality, did you also force your kids growing up when they're on their skateboards and rollerblades and bikes? Does everybody have to wear their safety equipment or do you? Yeah, I'm out? really picky okay. about safety equipment. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my sister joked around because I had this big accident, life-changing accident. And then I still had horses. I love horses. I've always loved horses. That's my thing. And um, don't work on them. But five years later, almost to the day, I had another horse injury when I was doing an artificial insemination on my own stallion. Mm -hmm. And I got kicked in the chest. I had to ride on the Life Force helicopter again. And so this time, though, my child was six months old and it was really hard to know that I could have been lost and my child would have not had a mother. I mean, it, it was a different thing, but I guess long story short, I don't have horses now. So that's kind of sad. Is that for emotional reasons or did you just decide, look, the universe is telling me to be a little more careful around these things? 
when my son was little, yeah, I was just afraid because I knew that I got kicked and it hit me in the chest. And if he had gotten kicked, it would have hit him in the head. And I was just like, you know, I can't make this decision for him and put him at risk. And along the way, as you know, from reading all my articles, I also developed some animal allergies. So I'm allergic to dogs, cats, and horses now. So (laughs) I felt like the universe was saying, hey, let's maybe don't have horses for a while. So I don't have them now. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. So I'm I'm thinking about what kind of changes could happen in your perspective because of that. You're not taking life for granted. You're thinking about more about your place among the people around you and how you can help. Has it made you a better everything? In other words, oh, it's made you a better listener. It's made you more patient. And... If that's true, are there also cases where it's been the extreme? As a leader, I know sometimes there's a balance between, they talk about there's some leaders who are challenging and kind of rough to work with, and there are other leaders who are kind of cushy and soft. And so where does it land you? And do you think you've got the right balance or you still fight? Well, you know, it would be really awesome if I said, oh, it changed my life and now I'm (laughs) Perfect. And, you know, I'm a better listener. I still struggle. I mean, you know, it was a a really shocking way to grow. Yeah. And I think that a leader helps other people grow too. Yeah. And I'm such a communicator. I like to talk about what happened and I like to talk about what I learned and share. And that's just, I've always kind of been like that, but now I have a, a story, but no, I'm not, I'm not really there yet. God isn't finished with me yet or I'm not not there yet. It's still an ongoing thing. I'm not the best boss in the world. I'm not the best leader in the world, but I do care about what kind of boss I am. And I do care about what kind of leader I am. And I think, I think that's something I'd like to believe that's something. Yes. In the many things you could focus on as a business owner. So hiring and firing, motivation, practice finances, revenue. Is there a part of that that's most exciting to you? Are the numbers the most interesting part, the thing you like getting into? Is it the client communication? Is it the the team member retention? What is the thing that really kind of gets you energized? You know, I'm a person that likes variety. Okay. I do not like a clock in and clock out kind of job. And so like, I like to eat tapas because I get little tastes of 
of all kinds of different things. So I do like metrics. I do like mentorship. I do like client communication. But most of all, I like that I get to do it all. And I get to just kind of watch how this thing impacts that or, you know, and I just get that's rewarding to me. At your practice, how many people work there? How many doctors, how many technicians slash nurses, and how many front desk staff do you have? Okay. We have three doctors. Okay. We routinely run with two assistants per doctor Okay. in a shift. We have a practice manager and we have a kennel person. And then we have a front desk person that just does front desk, but everybody is cross-trained because they all kind of like doing a little bit of everything. And so Mm -hmm. we all know how to do everything, but I think the roster, I have 12, maybe 12 Mm -hmm. people. Is that like the most, probably like the most you've had, or is there a time when it was much bigger? Obviously it was much smaller when you started, but no, it's the most I've had Okay, because we remodeled and added exam rooms so we could have more doctors. And I just hired, um, it's been hard to grow and hire people with the whole COVID thing and all. I just hired my veterinary technician student intern who came mm-hmm. to spend time in my practice in her schooling. And we just hired her. She graduated. She gets studies for her boards and takes them in August. So, um, yeah, we felt really lucky to get her. And then I have my team has all been with me for a while. Uh, my practice manager is is a 10 year veteran of the practice. The practice manager before her worked for 10 years. And a lot of my other staff is is three years or more. I mean, I just have a very, very stable staff. And I think that's really good. I think it's because we have a lot of communication. We have regular team meetings. We have profit sharing programs so that everyone takes ownership of of their role and we work like a team. And it hasn't always been that way because when I first started out, I didn't have I didn't have the money to pay people really well and I didn't have the experience to hire really well. So yeah, I mean, I joke that you know, when I opened my doors in 1998, I had two clients and it was my mom and my dad, <laughs> and they did not expect to pay for veterinary care. Sure. So, but yeah, we have a lot more than that now. Who are the people has the kind of person who flourishes in the culture at your practice? Has that changed over time? Or as you said, was it simply a matter of You didn't know how to find the people who would flourish in that culture. You couldn't pay the people who would really belong in that culture. Or was it the culture has changed and that's made it feel better over time or some mix? I would say a mix. As I've grown in experience, I think I know which traits work well with us. Yeah. And now... My first associate, my the associate that I had before I hired the third doctor, Dr. Pepper, has been with me for three years. And so part of it was getting to know what kind of personality he has and how can he and I complement each other, which of the assistants works the most closely with him or, you know, just communicating. We have regular admin meetings. We have regular full team meetings and we just try to communicate. Now I do really, really try to make it where it's an open door where people can tell me 
things. Mm-hmm. I kind of have a transparency thing. We go over the metrics in our team meetings. We talk about goals. They all know things like key practice indicators. They know what we're watching and what we're looking for, and it makes them feel more invested. And so although I said, you know, no one is irreplaceable by the same token, they're all important and they know it. So yeah, that's probably changed over time. With that kind of transparencies, have there ever been drawbacks? Because I know there's a lot of sensitivity. There's always been sensitivity about a worry about financial transparency. And I know over the years, I've you've been very transparent about those things, but not everybody is. Are there any drawbacks to having everyone seeing so much of the inside of the practice? I don't think so. Now, with that said, when I was younger and I was the same age as my employees more, I had a little bit more of a Well, I hadn't matured, so I don't know which of the factors really impacted, but I did have a little more tension about money. And, you know, well, it's not fair that she's making this or doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, I can't really say no and and music plays and my practice is perfect. It's (laughs) not perfect, but it is successful. And that definition of success is that we help people including our team members to flourish. We feel like we're making a difference and it's a financially stable environment. And those are things that are important to my type A personality. Yes. Are there high performing people or great team members or doctors who are great someplace else, but weren't great there? You don't have to go into details about who they are, but what does that look like? Who are the people who might be great, but don't fit? Well, there are always, I mean, There are always, and I'm a really strong personality. And so I think that those people that work well with me work well with me and those that do not, it really doesn't work. So yes, we have absolutely had people over the years that just, they're not bad people. They're not bad employees. I would recommend them because they just weren't right for us. It's just like dating. You know, you can date someone and be like, you know what? He's a really great guy, but I don't think he's the one for me. (laughs) Right. You know, I hated dating, but yeah, it's like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that probably means, I mean, so you find people you like, you try to get them to stick around longer. Has who fits in? You mentioned about having to figure out how you work with these associates. Does that mean people who love working with one of your associates Maybe they prefer to work with an associate than you or vice versa. They like your style better than the associate style. Do you now run into that where now there's kind of different personalities that are gelling around the doctors? Yeah, I think so. But any of us can work with any other of us. And especially during COVID when we were splitting the team so that none of the same people were there at the same time. I recognized very quickly that dividing the team in that way where it was Dr. Prim's team and Dr. Pepper's team, that was really destructive. And I saw it because I've just been around the block, I guess. I don't know. But when I would hear winds of team A didn't clean that up or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And so as soon as I recognized that that is a destructive force, we started doing our team meetings on Zoom. So everybody was there and and we just didn't see each other. But then everyone got to make their suggestions to everyone else and it got a lot better. But yeah, I saw that happening. That is absolutely true. 
how is conflict handled? Now you just said you have an open door. So that may mean if people are comfortable going and telling you something that's sensitive or about a conflict that's going on in the practice, maybe they do, maybe they don't. What, how generally would you say across the board is conflict handled in your hospital? Gosh, we just don't have a lot. <laughs> I mean, we don't, and I feel really blessed because I'm a member of a lot of Facebook groups of veterinary practice owners and just veterinarians. And some practices just have drama all the time. However, I don't like it. I don't like drama. And so I kind of have a zero tolerance for that. And I have certainly eliminated team members who contributed to that. I guess you just have to, you have to stand for something. You don't have to get into specifics about people, but I am curious about what was kind of a a level of drama. I mean, people can have constructive conflicts that are very difficult to get through. So maybe are we talking about things, people just being irritated with each other? Are we kind of talking about a real conflict about philosophy or real conflict about how something should be practiced or clients could be handled? It sounds like you're talking a little bit about the drama thing. Is it more drama or more serious conflicts that have to really get resolved? They can't just, people can't just be told to, look, you're not allowed to gossip, but you're not allowed to, you need to be a little less irritated, you need to be a little more charitable, a little more patient, because this isn't that big a deal. Are they overreacting, or is it a real big thing that can happen? There's always drama, because it's like a, I mean, there's a little bit of drama, because it's like a family, and we spend a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. But I just try to listen closely. I'll hear the winds of drama, and then I'll have a meeting, and I'll try to get to the bottom of it. I'll let everybody tell their story, you know, what happened, but I think they all really like each other. And so they're kind of like, well, I didn't want her to think that I was whatever, you know, I didn't, you know, or maybe I'm going through something in my personal life and, and it's making it harder for me. And then we can kind of explain that and people will, will give him or her some leeway, you know, that kind of thing. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.